Hey folks, welcome to Narratives. Narratives is a podcast exploring the ways in which the world is better than in the past, the ways it is worse, and the paths towards a better, more definite vision of the future. I'm your host, Will Jarvis, and I want to thank you for taking the time out of your day to listen to this episode. I hope you enjoy it. You can find show notes, transcripts, and videos at narrativespodcast.com. Cam, how are you doing this afternoon? I'm great. This is rad. This is a cool setup. It's cool. Yeah, Thank you. Haven't Thank you. Been, haven't, well, first, I haven't been to the Commons before, and then two. Uh, it's pretty cool. Recording a uh, podcast in this fashion is fantastic. Yes, I'm, all about, I'm all about it. IRL, you know? I love it. I love it. Um, well, Cam, thanks so much for taking the time to come on the show. Do you mind giving us a brief bio and some of the big ideas you're interested in? Yeah, so uh, my name's Cameron Weesey, and <laughs> bios are always interesting. I'm so just, like, obsessed with this one single idea, this one single project, which is the revival and the reimagining of the World's Fair. And we used to host these grand events that captured the nation or captured the world's imagination through story and experience. And we haven't had one, haven't had a great one since 64. And I think it's a shame. And we need as a culture to regain this sort of hope for the future and remember kind of the sort of great things we're capable of in a World's Fair. Might, might just demonstrate that. I love that. Can you talk about a little bit about the history of the World's Fair, what it is, what it was, and you know why it went away, or do you have any sense of why it went away? Yeah, the the why it went away is like the the inter- like the most kind of u- interesting question because you still have these events like known as like the World Expo. Actually, before I before I go into the history, let me start with kind of the what the World's Fair is. Yeah, because um, a lot of people aren't aren't familiar. You have. Um, the World's Cup, and you have the Olympics, which are yeah. mega events that people right. know today. And the World's Fair is a type of mega event. Yeah. Uh, it was a physical event, ran for often six plus months on hundreds, if not thousands, of acres of land. Gotcha. Um, and served as a way to kind of showcase the latest and greatest in technology and innovation ideas. Very cool. Uh, and they were, pr- and, you know, and some of them were used as economic development engines for, yeah. for cities like Spokane, Washington, right. um, New Orleans, um, San Antonio. Right, but there's this class of fairs that I consider like the great fairs. Yeah. So you have the ones that really were focused not on economic development, but on the revitalization and kind of the sort of vision for something bigger for a specific city. Gotcha. Um, particularly, you know, <clears throat> 1915 here in San Francisco was built as a way to kind of get the city back up and running after the Great Fire. Gotcha. In Chicago in 1933, you had Century of Progress Exposition, which was kind of this this light. In amidst the darkness of the Great Depression, um, and I can go on and on, but we had these events, and they ran really again up until the '60s. And there were some in the '70s, some in the '80s. The last one in the U.S. was in 1984, and a lot of people ask, like, what happened to these? Like, why don't we run these anymore? Yeah. And they're really kind of three, three things. One is the uh, competition from Disney's Epcot. Gotcha. So Epcot opened in '82. And it was designed, well, originally it was designed to be a city, which is a whole other topic I'm happy to yeah. riff on. Um, but um, the the one that they ended up kind of creating was intended to be a permanent World's Fair. You had the, the country showcase and you yes. had the pavilions. Uh, and that was kind of the thing that people went to if they wanted right. to go see the future. Yep. Um, but you also had the kind of contrasting economic development engine like right. mega events with the Olympics and the World's Fair gotcha. um, in 84. Got it. So... 
you had Peter Uberoth who ran the Olympics in Los yeah. Angeles. Um, he kind of he he kind of came in, and uh, <laughs> you want me to go into this? Yeah. <laughs> okay. I can, I, I can, if you, yeah. you you can pull me out if you want. Okay. I'm happy Good to deal. have it. Um, you had Peter Uberoth who um, was hired to run the Los Angeles Olympics Committee. Yeah. And at the time, everyone was like, the Olympics are done. Yeah. Right. The previous ones hadn't done well. There's yeah. a bunch of nation, national right. conflicts. And what Peter Ruberoff did, being a, a savvy businessman rather than a, a politician or a bureaucrat, yeah. um, came in and said, you know, this thing just needs a new business model. Yeah. So instead of, you know, trying to get the city to pay for it, they had it entirely privately funded. Yeah. And they did it by selling the broadcasting rights of the Olympics nice. to, I believe it was ABC for three. Uh, I don't need to fact check this, but it was like two, three hundred million dollars. Gotcha. And that made the Los Angeles Los Angeles Olympics like the most profitable Olympics in history. Right. And all that money has continued to fund Los Angeles like sports programming for the last you know fifty years. Right. Um, and cities saw that and they're like, whoa, the Olympics. Yeah. We want an Olympics. Exactly. Exactly. Because they also had the contrast of the '84 World's Fair in in New Orleans. Right. That uh, ended in bankruptcy there was a lean on the event like halfway through um, there's some organized crime corruption it was very very yeah. sketchy sort of set of circumstances and you know then you know you didn't have good marketing back then so people heard right. like oh this thing isn't gonna isn't going i'm not yes. gonna go yeah so they they ended up like not hitting their numbers which gotcha. were also based on faulty uh, fraudulent data um, and and then you know the kind of world's fair there like kind of fell off. It was like yeah. Olympics over the fairs. And then the last piece is just like the, you know, there's a lot of talk in at least the tech circles around kind of stagnation yes. and progress and, yeah. you know, what the, what the, what the fuck happened in 1971 yeah. sort of thing. And so you had this, this cultural malaise that I think is, yes. is an interesting layer on top. And with all the innovation and all the developments of new technologies being funneled into the world of software, right. Um, there wasn't a lot to showcase right. at the fairs, or, or at least there there would have been, but it required a little bit more imagination because it wasn't as easy as saying like, "Hey, Henry Ford, why don't you bring the Model T and set up an assembly line?" Right, right. Or, you know, I, there are countless other examples, but there wasn't as much concrete stuff to show off. Right. And so it was just like a harder lift for people, especially people in cities who weren't like on the frontier of technology, if you will. Right. That makes sense. That makes sense. Um, I'm curious, what does it take to make one of these events successful today? You know, you mentioned like uh, broadcasting rights, powering, you know, the LA Olympics and, and that leading to a lot of success. It seems like a real challenge today in that how do you create something that is self-funding in some sense um, that is a mega event? Uh, you know, most Olympics now, it seems like they barely make any money or they lose a lot of money, especially for the cities that put them together. Um, how do you think about making these kind of events kind of successful? Yeah, I think the, the, the Olympic service is a really good example for this sort of, like, this problem, right? Because people yeah. don't think mega events can be profitable. They don't think they can be run, you know, efficiently. Right. And part of the problem, though, is that, like, just to, just to kind of sidestep into, like, a quick tangent on, Olympi on yeah. the Olympic Games. Like, the way the Olympics is set up is you have the International Olympic Committee, which manages all of the, like, they're the ones after, after LA was successful in 84. Yeah. They're like, you know what? <laughs> we actually want that money. Gotcha. Right. Los Angeles got an 84, yeah. but no other Olympics did because the IOC was like, right. ooh, ooh, we want this. Right. right. So all the sponsorships, all the broadcasting rights yes. flow up to the IOC. Um, and then the IOC like then has a bidding process for cities. And the way they dole out the bids is pretty much based on like 
who gives them the most money, who puts on the most extravagant gotcha. show. And like the incentives are really skewed because the IOC has no vested interest in the right. su- continued success of sense. the infrastructure that's put in place for the yes. Olympics. It's like, who's going to spend the most? We don't care what you're going to do with it after. Right. Like, exactly. yada, yada, we want to put on a good game. Yeah. And I think there's there's like things that, you, that we can draw on from the way the Olympics, the problems of the Olympics, to think about how we would do a World's Fair today. Yeah. Um, we do not want to start with the city because if yeah. you start with the city, you're immediately pigeonholed to the politics and the, the budgets. Right. And if you take any money from any tax collecting entity, then like it quickly becomes political and bureaucratic and like right. it doesn't get off the ground. Exactly. And we've seen this. There have yeah. been several attempts since 84 to, to do a World's Fair right. and they've all fallen victim to yeah. the same issue. Um, the other is how do we have a legacy plan in place yeah. for the site after the fair is hosted? Gotcha. So there's some cool opportunities. There's a lot of new, this new cities movement that's taking yeah. place, and there's a possibility. How how might we use a world's fair to subsidize the economic or streamline the economic development of one of these new right. city projects? Or Definitely. you know how do we do something with land taxes? And right. Exactly. Yep. Yep. <laughs> which we can get into, um, and then obviously we have the internet. Yeah. Right. We have this incredible, you know, uh, means of distribution and yes communication that really could unlock all sorts of new opportunities on both the media and the kind of virtual fronts for right. something like the fair. And so you pair the land, you pair the sort of like, th- there's also this, this other component of this, which is like, how do you actually just run the event like a, like a business, right? not like a, you know, economic development project. Yes. And if you do that, you know, you sell the pavilion spaces to companies and, and they pay for it. Yes. Um, you know, you, you sell tickets, you, you kind of do all the standard right. things. But like, if you look at like, uh, I mean, mm, this isn't the best comparison, but you compare this like Disneyland, Disney World, like yes. they're exceptionally profitable, like yep. endeavors. Right. right. And like, you know, it can be done. Yes. Tens of millions of people go every year. Right. And I think like you could do something similar. For it just requires like new innovative thinking on the business model. Yes. Makes sense. Makes sense. So you just got to be a little bit more creative and th- there are some good ways. Yeah. To like, and, like there's no, pl- there's no playbook for this, right? Like right. actually there is, there's, there's a, an old planning guide from one of the past fairs that kind of outlines the, the process for yeah. how they, how they funded, how they developed it. And it's like really fascinating because it, it, right. it was very similar time that to the one yep. right now. Economically, culturally, like yep. geopolitically, and like this is what we did. This is what worked. Right. And like they set up some principles that I think would be fair organizers, of which right. there don't appear to be any other than you know me. Yeah. Uh, would benefit from learning from. That's great. That's great. What do you think it would cost to to set up like a modern World's Fair equivalent? <laughs> I mean, this is depends on like which costs you want to factor in. Yeah. Right. If we're talking total cost of development of like land per land acquisition, um, taking a greenfield site and like converting it into something right. usable, roads, water, yep. infrastructure, all the buildings, like the total like money in is probably I would I would compare it to Disneyland Shanghai, which was about a six gotcha. billion six billion dollar project. Gotcha. Um, but obviously like that is not all like cost. Right. It's not it's not all like, you know, money being sunk into a pit. Right. Yes, you yes. have the development of the land, you have the, right. some of the buildings that have yeah. permanent infrastructure, uh, et cetera. So I don't know that's that's kind of what I based on, but like, this is a big project, yeah. And absolutely. obviously, I'd like, you know, I would like to find someone who has done right. big projects like this uh, to yes. build out the financial models. But yeah, it's it's not a it's not a, you know, hundred right. k, you know, do it in the do it in the Definitely. Golden Gate Park sort of sort of thing. Exactly. Uh, how do you think about bootstrapping uh, something like this from uh, nothing into like a, a actual World's Fair? 
<laughs> this is the uh, this is this is the question, right? yeah. Because you know the vision's great. You know, end of decade, like we'll, we'll like open the gates. But how do you actually get the resource you need to like start and yes. then kind of iterate? Like iterate's not the right term. Like MVP isn't the right frame to think yes. about this either. It's like you know how do we just? It's more about how do how do you build a team that can demonstrate like capacity. Right. It's not about like is this thing possible to do? Yeah. Like it's very like very it's not possible. a hard thing to. We build real estate projects, we build theme parks, we operate yeah. these things. Like exactly. you have people who creatively tell stories through physical spaces and yeah. through films. Like there's there's nothing new about like right. any of this. Yeah. The the challenge is like you know you have to pair the like the fun you have to find the the funders. Yes. Right. Find the people who have a tall who who like want to see this sort of thing exist in the world. Right. And who are willing to be like you know what like let's take. I'll say like milestone based bets yes. to like see this thing developed. And so the way I think about it is like, you know, again, in in line with demonstrating capacities, like, okay, we have this big thing that we want to do. Right. Right. So what is like actually like the, th- the thread here, the through line is actually um, slightly different. It's like the thing that jumping back to the beginning, the thing that made some of those I mentioned, like there's certain fairs that were really great. Yes. Um, and the thing that made them great was not their size, not their location, not not the things that they showed off right. necessarily, but they were all focused on creating a feeling for people. Gotcha. It was this feeling of, of hope and wonder and awe. Makes right? sense. And so that is the thing that su- that separates like the fairs that people remember nostalgically yes. and the ones that like people like don't know about. Right. And and so when I think about this and how we break it down, yes. It's like ultimately like it the end of the day like the fair is just like an anchor yes right the big mega event is an anchor right that is communicating and expressing like celebrating this feeling or giving people this feeling yes at the largest possible scale right and so to get there we just have to take that feeling and figure out how do we deliver that in like ways today yeah and then next month and next year that both like captures that feeling for people right and like kind of develops the capacity of the team to like go execute on larger and larger credit projects. Cause like Definitely. the <laughs> last thing on this is like, again, all this is doable, but like it requires a tr- like a team that has like yes. trust with each other right. and have good relationships and like right. can like work well. And you don't go run a five plus billion dollar infrastructure project with like a team that hasn't like worked together. Exactly. Before. So it's like, exactly. how do you like, but what are the, the different jumps you have to right. take? So exactly. Exactly. And it's a complicated thing. Absolutely. And, and what's the kind of smallest wedge you're starting with in the beginning? So <laughs> the, uh, really the, the way that we've broken the fair down, like the, the grand event is yeah. based on this framework of hope. And again, it's an academic framework. Yes. Uh, but I think it's, it's useful to think about like you have, um, in order to have hope, you have to have three things. You have to have goals. Yeah. It's top of the mountain. Where do you want to go? Yeah. You have to have pathways. How do we go from where we are today up the mountain to reach that goal? Yeah. And three, you have to have agency. It's like, do you believe that you have the agency to take the pathway to reach the goal? Right. Right. And so when we dis- we're thinking about like, what does the like, end, end of a you know, yeah. decade fair look like? It's based on that sort of thing. So we have the pavilions and these, these realms that um, s- some folks, like we did a poster campaign. Uh, yeah. We released like art that represents each of these core right. themes. Um and those those represent the work being done today yeah. to build the world of tomorrow, but then what we want, but that's only the pathways piece, right? And then we want to give people that that hope. So what we've done, what we're doing is designing this like immersive, like the set of immersive worlds. Gotcha. They're set in this fictional, aspirational future, where all the technology that people saw at the fair, yeah, 
are like played out, you know, very cool. 30 to 40 years into the future to yeah. see like, oh, here's how amazing, how vibrant and beautiful our world could right. be as a result of these technologies. These things are not going to destroy humanity. They're not going exactly. to like, they're going to change things. But like, yes. ultimately, just like every other sort of like all the other progress in the past, right. like the world is ultimately going to be better as a result. And so what we want to do is take one of those worlds yeah. and develop kind of a, an immersive activation. I want to open... 18 to 24 months from now yeah um it's november 2022 yeah so i did like 18 24 months and this will like give guests a hundred thousand people or so over over the course of a few weeks or a few months um the opportunity to step into this world and experience what life could be like in that in that world very cool um but then obviously like that's still a big piece so we're working on how do we design like a pavilion concept yes that will like tell, show people some of the pathways through an immersive Definitely. experience in the next year or so, and then we're also working on kind of cooking up a couple of things on the the media front, the experience front, nice. um, to just again demonstrate capacity like on the day to day, so that we can stack up to doing like a larger event and then a larger experience and then a larger experience and then, and then go from there. Very cool. Um, very cool. Yeah. How did you think? How did you come to the World's Fair originally? Uh, I mean, so I mean. I'm from Seattle. Yeah. And I, I remember, like, I uh, moved around a lot as, like, as, as kids, like, because my dad was doing the kind of corporate thing. Yeah. And, but we'd always fly back to visit uh, my grandparents. Yeah. And uh, I always remember flying into Seattle airport, getting in the car, and it was often raining in the Pacific Northwest as, yes. as it does. Yeah. And driving up uh, I-5. Yeah. And looking out the window and seeing the Space Needle. Yeah. And it just, like, to me, it was the coolest piece of architecture i'd ever yeah. seen i'm like wow like what like and i it, it was a kid, I didn't know what that was but it was like it's a really cool symbol exactly and i'm like i like this yeah. and you know so as i grew up and i realized i'm like oh wait like what was this and i started asking questions like, what was this for right like we built this like why oh yeah. this is for for a world's fair yeah oh what what are the world's fairs etc yeah. um so it was like always in the back of my mind yeah but the kind of inception point was it was probably two years ago at this point just like the idea inception point was like sitting in in the airport with one of my friends we were talking about how all the science fiction yes in our world today is, is very a lot of not all of it, a lot of it's very dystopian yes right the popular science fiction the movies yes. are painting a vision for the future that's not exciting or not compelling right um they make for good movies yes but they don't accurately represent the sort of world i think we all right. want to live in yeah and so i kind of got up my soapbox as i as i often do yeah and found myself <laughs> just on this rave where I'm like, why are all of these movies dystopian? Yeah, exactly. This is ridiculous. Yeah. What if we got all these science fiction authors in one room and we made them design the coolest possible future? What would exactly. that book look like? What would that movie look like? Wait, what if what if we turned that, that thing into a place that you could exactly. actually go? Yeah. You'd step into this world and you could see how awesome things could be. Like, Definitely. What would that look like? Wait a minute. Didn't we do this? Wasn't yeah. this like the world's fairs? Like, yep. what, what was this? And then like, it was it was that sort of moment yeah. where I'm like, oh, World's Fairs. Right. What happened to those? And, yeah. you know, put it off for a while, but have become kind of an amateur, you know, World's Fair historian. Yes. And realized, like, again, like, these events serve a huge, huge purpose in, like, getting people excited about the future, especially yes. during really dark and depressing times. Yeah. And it just seems to me to be, like, so blatantly obvious that, like, the thing we need now culturally is, like, is this hope for the future, as I've said. Right. And, like, we've done this before like this seems to be a pretty obvious path like yes. move forward right and no one was working on it like right this needs to be done yeah so here we are 
I love it. I love it. Do you uh, do you think something like this is enough uh, to put defibrillator your paddles on the west, so to speak, and, and get things back on the? <laughs> That's morbid. Like, yeah, yeah. And I, and I and I do love that. I, li- I do love the effort. Like I think it is a it's a really good idea. Um, uh, do you think it's enough on its own, or is there some other key piece that needs to happen as well to kind of you know restart progress? That's a great question. Uh, I certainly don't think it's it's like the only thing. I think yeah. like really it's going to take kind of a more of a cultural movement. Yeah. Right? That I'm hoping to just like play I and like with the fair. Yeah. I'm just hoping to play like a like a small part of yeah. that. But more broadly we we definitely need more stories being told about the future that are exciting. Right. We need more people choosing to build rather than to like definitely petition. Yes. Uh, I need to think of a, a more catchy way to say that, exactly. but it's just like there's there's far too much like oh everything's broken oh I'm so frustrated with the system right. the status quo like the system's yeah. not working for it's like we live in the most incredible time yes like nobody in their right mind would even fa- like consider jumping into a time machine and going back you know a hundred exactly. years like yeah. the world was not great back then yeah right? and like today you have all this technology you have all this infrastructure yeah. you have all these cert- like the world's great for everybody. Um, like in, in comparison to yes. what it was and like we need <laughs> i lost my thread um okay <laughs> uh, is this sufficient it's necessary okay the fair is necessary not sufficient um broader cultural movement um yeah like it's like there's just like a lot of things that we need to do. Yeah. Like as a culture to like right. really appreciate like where we're at now and where we're going. And again, the fair is like a, a piece of that. But again, yes. like we need we need more. So I think uh, this, this is okay. This is the piece. We need people to like not complain and to go build. Like go be entrepreneurs. Yes. Go start. Like go solve problems. Like right. go do the hard work of you know, like what is not working. Whether it's like, I mean, it, it can be software, but a lot of the yeah. stuff that needs needs work is like not glorious it's not sexy it's like go run for like local politics like that is an extremely high point of leverage for like actually affecting positive change yeah and like very few people are taking that like takes that seriously like as as i was telling you before like i think one of my takes is like the most courageous thing you can do now yeah like in the world today is to go into politics go into the machine and like you may get eaten alive by it yeah but if you don't like you may just be able like you may just be able to like do something important yeah exactly Uh, especially at the state and local, local government level, I think it's a very high leverage point to do a lot of good today. Yeah. Um, uh, just in comparison to, yeah, I think they, it's much less competitive. There's a lot of, uh, so, you know, you can you can have a much, if you're a talented person, the delta between you and the next person who would be in that spot is totally. often much higher. Yeah, and I, and I think, like, as again, as I was as we were talking offline, like, people now have the tools and the resources to go do this. Like, if you're not in one of the major cities, like, you could still like probably can work remote yeah right you have obviously means and like yes the, the, to your point the delta between like you and the next person is probably like pretty large yes like if you just choose to take like to be courageous and to step up and take responsibility for like building right. something great in your local community like you can and like you should actually yes. not you should you must yes. right? if you have the capacity to do these things like you have almost a moral imperative to do them because like if not you then who right right, right? right, right. and right. it's like this is sort of the attitude, like culturally, that I think that, that I believe is, is necessary. It's like, how do we get more people broadly being like, you know what? I'm going to go do something about right. this. Whether it's, okay, there's a 
can I, can I tangent here? Yes, absolutely. Um, <laughs> this is kind of related, but I think it's a hilarious example. It's like you have over in Oakland, um, there's like thousands of potholes that like need to be filled. Yes. And everyone is complaining about how shitty it is to drive over yeah. there. And it's like, it's not fun. Yeah. And they've gone to the city and like, hey, can you please do something else? Can you please fix this? Yeah. And the city, you know, of course, like, like oh, it's a backlog. We're not, we'll get to it. We'll get to it. I'm like, we're tired of this. So you have this vigilante group of citizens who like yeah. rented a box truck and a cement mixer. And they're literally Amazing. going around pouring like concrete or asphalt into these potholes yes, to yes. fix them because the city won't. Yeah. And there's just this clip, I don't know, it was on the news or probably made its way around Twitter or somewhere on the internet where it's yeah. like some interview where like they're all masked up. They're like, no one's trying to fix Like, it's not about us. It's yeah. about the movement. Yeah. And it's like, that's a phenomenal example of yep. people who saw a problem and like, this needs to be fixed. No one is like, no one else is going to come do this. Like yes. we have to take responsibility for it. And right. then just like, it's, it's that sort of granular, like local level, like yeah. in your neighborhood, on your block, like pick up the trash after yourself. Like right. don't just let's don't like no one else is going to do it. Right. No one's going to pick up your trash. Yeah. No one's going to go like, you know, clean up your city. Exactly. No one's going to go, you know, solve the problem you care most about in the world. Like you have to right. do it. You have to do it. Yeah. I, I love that message. I think it's, it's really important. Do, do you think um, there's something perhaps like uh, in our culture where we've gotten, uh, you know, perhaps American elites or something have gotten quite wealthy. They're doing better than they ever have before um, in economic terms. And uh, things are pretty comfortable. And so there's like just less incentive to go out and, and solve the problems. You just maybe you move to your gated community, you know, yeah. you move up here to the nice place in Hayes Valley and yeah, yeah. The, 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 the problems don't come up the hill or, or something like that. Yeah. So you, you don't worry about it. I, I definitely think there's something to that. I mean, Ross, uh, Doss, yeah, with his uh, the decadent society. I think this is yeah. his thesis, isn't it? It's like, uh, have you read the have you read yeah. his book? Yeah, I think I think this is his point. It's like everyone just gets comfortable, um, yeah. and then you know, people with the means, with the capital, like they they can like isolate themselves from the problems. Like, yeah. oh, call your word about crime. Like, well, I'm just uh, you know, I have money, so I'm gonna go hire private security. Right. Oh, I'm just gonna move, and it's like, yeah, this, <laughs> yeah, I, I definitely think there's there's something to yeah. that, but the people who are in those positions like they're no longer like they're not the ones who are on the ground doing the building yeah, yeah. they have some some swayed influence politically right. and maybe perhaps culturally but you know at the end of the day like that doesn't change the sort of circumstances for like you and i and all of our friends and you know people right. who are like just starting out in their careers like don't ha like are just able yeah. to be scrappy to be like hey exactly. like they're the ones who can go solve these problems like yeah kind of passing it up or like uh, like delegating the sort of response but like those who have like money or power or influence like yeah is is almost a cop-out right like yes it's a problem but that doesn't mean that yeah a lot of us can't do anything about it you know gotcha gotcha makes sense it makes sense um, i know what do you th what do you think can i can i ask you questions on this podcast yeah no absolutely you can't you can't <laughs> I, I i do think there's something weird where the capable people um this this weird thing happened where you know so one of my old uh friends we were to start up together he you know his grandfather did the sat and you know this is a really good thing we, we select up all the smart people from all the rural places and put them in university and then we conglomerate them together and you get all these economic gains but then it pulls all the talent out of like uh, uh all the rural places and then like you know there's just uh these societies start to break down and we wonder what's going on and i don't know i, I think there's something about elite responsibility and um Perhaps why elite, I mean, cultural elites yeah, totally. and, and not necessarily like, uh, I, I, and I do think this is separate from income, like completely and wealth. Uh, this, these are two completely different vectors. Totally. Yeah. And then like the, even like the, the cultural, it's like the value system that they're, they're propagating is not one that's like, 
really beneficial for for anyone but themselves yes i think it's like and then everyone's detached from the consequences like right if you're like on the coast you're like oh yeah this policy is a great idea yeah sure yes. and it's like yeah for you have no like no concept the re- what's going on. The, yeah you have no concept what's going on the consequences of like this policy this behavior like don't actually affect you yes but you like are on your up in your high tower if you yep. will like up on your hill and and you know the, yeah uh, exactly. what's the hill in san francisco why am i blanking on this like you're up on like um you're up in pack heights like yeah, exactly. up, up on your tower yep. and you're like oh yeah we should do this yep. and like it never seeps up to you right and so like you can you can virtue signal and you can grandstand and you yeah. can kind of talk about these things and you know feel like kind of uh virtuous about it but like at the end of the day like we need to like there needs to be some sort of thing to like actually get people like to, it, it, the elites need to stop like <laughs> meddling in like the everyday people problems and right. like think about themselves less as like the gatekeepers or the like you know hey i know it's best for everybody yeah and like i don't know i don't this is, I, I'm, I'm delving too far out of my like right. area of expertise but yeah yeah it's, it, it, it's interesting um yeah I, i'm curious i'm curious um Do you ever worry at all that uh, you go, you put it together with the World's Fair, and there's just not enough good technology to showcase or something like that? <laughs> hmm. No. No, you think I'll be there. I, I think I think it'll be there. I mean, because because it's not, you know, I think a lot of people think about like the World's Fair or something. It's like there's just misreception. It's like, oh, it's, is this is like CES. It's like there's gonna be a bunch of booths. It's like no, 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 no. Like there's no, there's no booths. Right. It's you know giant pavilions, but the pavilions are not like showcasing like one individual technology. Yeah. They're they're focused on telling the stories of these technologies, and this right. is this is the fundamental difference. Is like nobody cares about like boom supersonic jet yeah. or the tunnels or the Tesla. Right. Right. They care about like what it does for them and right. their lives and their families. Yeah. Nobody cares about gene editing except for when it's like, hey, this can cure you of this like incurable disease. Exactly. Or this can help your loved one, like or your, your your child who is sick from uh, like leukemia, like get better. Like right. this is like these things don't matter in the abstract. And this is what people don't understand. It's like yeah. it's the technology is cool. Yeah, you can watch it on YouTube, but like n- the story isn't there. Like how does this connect? How does this resonate? How does this like change your life right. for the better? Yeah. And like this is part of the adversarial relationship with like technology and you know like the rest of the world at least. Well, now we know it's partially a result of you know uh, Salzberger you know telling all of his journalists to yeah. not report positively on technology. Exactly. Um, and we'll see how that how that changes <laughs> the narrative. But like you, you just like you can't just put a thing out there and be like, oh hey look this is great. Like right. you all should want this. Exactly. Like, you have to do what Steve Jobs did. It's like, hey, a thousand songs in your pocket. Like, yeah. you know, we're doing this thing now, and like, right, this exactly. how the world's going to change. Yeah. Like, you know, and Elon with like, hey, this is going to convert the world to electric cars. Right. And like, I mean, it's unfortunate. Like, those are the two like most prominent examples that everyone can right. connect with. Like, those are the role models that that yeah. people have is for like how you go build the future. Exactly. And I think like that's a different kind of um, vector of change. I think is is necessary. Like, making role models more accessible. But right. it the, the point is that like the individual technology like so much positive stuff happening in the world right now like there's right. so many great people working on solving like our toughest problems right and you know we may have to tell like the story of the future of flight maybe yeah. a bit more like abstract or right but like a place a thing like you know the future of uh, energy like I don't know, there's, there's like a lot of room to play right especially when we think about this from like a we're gonna tell stories about the, the various technologies based on what's being done today right rather than like okay what what companies are like 
commercially on the market? What are public ones? There's like all this work being done in research labs yeah. and DARPA, like in private institutions that like yeah. are very, very, very well funded and run yeah. by very competent people, especially right. like the private institutions yeah. that are now kind of starting to emerge. Like there's lots of stuff that's going to be coming out of those places too. So I'm, I'm not too worried about it. Very cool. Very cool. Um, so as, as we come up to the end of the episode here, I, I want to ask you, um, what, what, what can you go over like, uh, what's your biggest challenge right now? Uh, is there anything the audience can do to fix it? And then uh, let's talk about like uh, the next 10 years and, and what you plan to accomplish. <laughs> Amazing. Um, yeah. So I mean, really the, the biggest constraint right now is, is capital. Yeah. And you know, there's a very clear vision, kind of a, a good breakdown plan of like, hey, how right. do we go about doing this? But it's finding the right people who are values aligned, yeah. who who are very pro-human, pro-progress, pro-like abundance to yes. say, you know what, like, yeah, world's fair, like, this would be a great thing, like, let's right. go work towards it. Yeah. Um, and so it's kind of, you know, both capital and like founding team. Gotcha. Right? It's also like, this is going to take more than just, right. you know, a couple people over Zoom. It's like, how do we build yeah. kind of a coalition of people who like truly, truly believe that the exactly. future can be better than the like the future can be better than the present and then like right. want to take the world's fair is a, is a vehicle through which like I could go help manifest that. Absolutely. Um, and then let's see. And then, uh, yeah. So, I mean, it's capital and then like obviously yeah. team, like again, I, I need a lot, like I'm under no delusion that this is a massive project right. and like requires lots of help. So, yes. you know, if anyone is listening and they're excited about like the fair, you know, maybe if you got laid off from, you know, your startup or yeah. whatever, uh, not meta, sorry. Um, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Oof. Uh, yeah. um, you know, come, uh, come, uh, come chat. Uh, we're going to, and then, you know, we're going to be doing like events here in San Francisco to Very start cool. to like capture the feeling of the future and the feeling yeah. of the fair. Absolutely. And so that's a really good way to kind of get involved and start to see like, Oh, this thing is, there's, there's some, some promise here then. Definitely. Up. That's great. That's great. Um, well, Cam, where can people find you? Uh, where should we send them? Uh, so I'm on Twitter at Cam Weesey. So C A M W I E S E. It's I C U C Weesey. Although I feel like Weiss. Um, <laughs> and then uh, you know follow the World's Fair at World's Fair Co on Twitter, and then the website WorldsFair.co. We have a awesome. mailing list, and you know we're spinning up more of the content arm. But gotcha. you know if you're a content creator and you care yeah. about the future, like good place hit to hit me up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So that's that's kind of the where where we're at awesome. right now good deal good awesome well cam thanks so much for taking the time to come well, on well i appreciate fun. you man yeah Excellent. thanks take care cool thanks for listening we'll be back next week with a new episode of narratives 